With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Stop fucking shooting. Oh my God. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Claps, claps, claps. Les différents podcasts de frappe. Arsenal have been through that mile and a half of pipe like Andy Dufresne in the Shawshank Redemption where you have to see the light at the end of the tunnel. El podcast de golpe diferente. But Arsenal are going through their pipe, like I say. We'll be back. The Different Knock Podcast. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. Welcome back to the Never Podcast. A light-hearted look at Arsenal with Alexander Moneypenny and my very good friend who's in the Costadale, Devon. Bradley Adams. Hello. Hello, sir. How how are you, mate? Um, football. <laughs> this is this is peak podcasting. This unbelievable, unbelievable. <laughs> let's try let's try let's try that again. Welcome back to the Different Not Podcast. How are you doing? Hope you're doing well. Um, before we get into the the football today, we do have a little bit of a special announcement. At the end of the last podcast, Bradley and I, inspired by Jack Wilshire quotes from the Little Book of Arsenal decided that if Arsenal get top four, we're going to give a shirt away. We are going to give a shirt away. So if you listen to the end of that podcast and you emailed, you know you've already got multiple entries into that competition. But if you didn't listen to the end of that podcast and you are only listening now, here are the instructions. There's two ways to win this shirt. And if Arsenal make top four, we will do a probably a live draw or some kind of draw. Um, we'll put everyone's name into the into the random number generator and we'll pick out a name and we'll send you your a shirt of your choice from next season's lineup, which looks bloody sexy, by the way. There's two ways to enter, both of which uh, count as a vote or a, an entry. Email the different knock at gmail.com and say whatever you like, or leave us a named and ideally good, review on Apple Podcasts. Both count as an entry. Uh, unfortunately, if you didn't get to the end of the last podcast, uh, you weren't an early bird, so it's only one entry. But you can get two if you leave us a review on Apple. Uh, hope that's clear. Hope that makes sense. Uh, and yeah, let's fucking get top four, mate. Get a shirt out. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Brad. Um, we've, 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 we've said we need to be really careful with crosstalk. So I'm now scared to speak, which is hilarious. Don't be scared to speak, Brad. How's Devon? <laughs> Uh, Devon is interesting. Uh, I'm I'm on a farmhouse, uh, and it was probably not the wisest place to bring a man with crippling, crippling hay fever. But alas, alack, here we are. <laughs> as as Albert Einstein once said, "Alas, alack." I think that's uh, I think that is a direct quote. Fucking hell! What a game of football that was. Arsenal three. Manchester United won. Uh, I'm going to jump straight in with a word of the game, which is fucking chaos, Brad. It was chaos of the game, of the running, of the weekend of football. We had fucking, we had Nuno Tavares playing like a YouTube compilation. We had Cedric Suarez swiping at balls and turning into a chihuahua. Miss Pens, Nasri and Piers Morgan were there and the Invincibles. Uh, Ramsdale looking like, 
Manuel Neuer and Manuel from Faulty Towers at the same time. It was absolutely wild. VAR decisions, transitions. It was it was pure, pure, unadulterated chaos. Um, and it I'm, was Barclays, mate. It was peak Barclays, and I'm here for it. Unbelievable, unbelievable. I. But do you know what? Do you know what, mate? Like that is what football fans are here for. That's what football is all about. Games like that. And as much as there are definite issues we should talk about in terms of the, the setup, I've, I haven't seen as that um, easily transitioned against in a long time. Um, there are definitely some concerns about our kind of structure and stuff away from that. It's the first time I've seen a Mikel Arteta team really caught so many times in, in, in wrong positions. Um, it was just a load of fun, mate. It was a load of fun and Spurs drop points, Chelsea nearly dropping points. This run-in continues to thrill and i'm fucking loving it mate also news coming out uh this kind of evening that conte's apparently offered himself to psg for two years because it looks like pochettino's leaving psg so that's another piece of beautiful news to possibly brighten the 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 weekends of all arsenal fans seeing as that will even if it isn't true definitely unsettle the squad somewhat uh i think chaos is a brilliant word my word is karma for once, it felt like most of the VAR decisions and most of the decisions that could be right in a game went our, uh, or could could go one way in a game went our way. You know, we got away with um, a couple of penalty shouts, the Cedric Hamble, Nuno Tavares bundling over, Alanga in the box not once but twice. You know, not getting that Eddie goal, but then getting the penalty for Saka. It, it really felt kind of like the karmic forces of the universe all collided in one in one game yesterday. You know, Bruno missing a penalty. It it felt like we cashed all of our chips in at the perfect time to really gain ground. And what you would say is that is probably that is I mean that is definitely two out of the three hardest games to play out of the way for the rest of the season. Um. And honestly, I I com- couldn't be prouder of the boys. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it's unbelievable. And and what you say about calm, I think, is so true, mate. Because you know we've we've had so many what feel like could go either way decisions go against us that actually there was a there was a kind of. Um, a sense of sort of something, not that we cheated, but you know, that sort of feeling where you get where you're like, we have, we don't fully deserve that. I mean, the Cedric Suarez handball incident, I mean, my goodness me, I, I can't believe there was, I mean, apparently there was, a, apparently they checked it. I, I, I cannot believe we got away with that. So but, apparently, you know, moments like that. So apparently within the rules of the game, because he's falling to the ground and he's in a downward motion and he's, Mate, I, 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 somebody on Sky Sports explained it after the game. I can't remember exactly how, but because he's falling over and he's using his arms to steady his body and motion, apparently that's what saves him. I'm sure that is true, mate, but it's Arsenal. Do you know what I mean? And those things always go against us or they feel like they do. I appreciate we have a biased fans view. So as much as I kind of felt a little bit like we cheated, a little, like a little bit, I, ha- I can't lie, I also felt massively that we've had that coming. We've had a bit of luck coming. We've had a bit of uh, a sort of a game that perhaps could have gone either way. I mean, when Dallow comes through and hits that ball that Ramsdale hits against the post, you know, we could be sat here discussing a very, very different game. That Ronaldo goal is inches offside. 
um, and and the little moments matter to us and 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 went for us, and I and I and I couldn't be more more proud. Something that really struck me actually during this game, there's uh, as I understand it, there's kind of four levels of knowledge acquisition, right? There's unconscious incompetence. You don't know what you don't know. There's conscious incompetence. You know what you don't know. You are aware that you are you're you're trying to learn something. There's conscious competence where you've learned something, but it's quite it's it's at the front of your brain. It's something that is kind of um present with you all the time and something that you you need to continually think about while you're doing it. And there is finally unconscious competence where you don't even have to think about doing it. Brushing your teeth, making a cup of tea, you can do something else while you're doing it. We are constantly flitting, I feel, between conscious competence and conscious incompetence. There is this constant flirtation between those two states where I see Arteta standing, willing the players to get it right, willing them to stand in the right places, willing this team to understand what he's trying to do. And that brings with it, because we're still, it's still so present. I mean, these players are still trying to get used to what Arteta is asking them to do. I think in a couple of years, Arteta might chill out a little bit. We might see a, a more relaxed version of him. Um, able to kind of step back from the team and go, okay, I can let them play their football. That I know they know what I need them to do. I think at the moment when things go wrong, there is so much kind of um, need for for training wheels to come back on. There's so much of a need for principles to be re restated and re given to the players in the moment and say, this is what I need you to do. That it gives this sort of frantic energy to the interaction between the manager and the players, and that translates to the crowd. And that's what I felt yesterday, mate. I felt this kind of, because we're still grappling with what exactly Arteta wants us to do, I feel, especially the likes of Nuno, especially the likes of El Nenny, especially the likes of Nketiah, you know, and all the young players, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You, you see that tension and you see that sort of move between uh, the competencies and going, what should I be doing? Am I here? They aren't automations yet. That Some of them are automations. There's some things that we do that are automatic, but a lot of them aren't. So it requires a lot of brain power. And that tension, I really feel, reflects onto the stadium. And that brought the chaos for me. The kind of, no one knows what the fuck they're doing, really, but I'm living for it. And, and that's how I felt yesterday. There was a kind of mad energy to it that I just loved. And I, I love it. I, I, I feel so... I feel buzzed by that game. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely, mate. And I think it's also um, a, a youthful thing. I think it's really uh, not a surprise for me that um, the last three, uh, not uh, yeah, the last three goals we've conceded have come from, you know, five to six minutes after we've scored. And, you know, there is that classic cliche of, you know, you're most vulnerable after you've first scored. And I think for this team, it's quite true. Uh, we we switch off a little. We're not. And that's something that will come with maturity. It, that's something that will come with, with growing into it. Sorry to jump in. I read a book the other day. Apparently, that isn't true. That's a that's genuinely a cliche. I think you're actually right with this team. I think that is a is a truth for this team and what feels like fits the narrative. But apparently I read this book by, it's called Numbers, and I can't remember, the, but it's a book, book basically about football stats. And apparently they, they did the numbers and that's not true. It's fascinating. Oh. Well, I am utterly proved wrong, but I... <laughs> no, 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 no. But it's, and it's not, it's not to counter that. It's actually to say that, that this feels like the narrative of that team. And I agree when, when we scored my sphincter titans too. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I think, I do think it's, it's, it's nerves and, and youthfulness and, 
Uh, not a lack of maturity because I think they're immature, but a lack of maturity purely because you think some of these players, like Emile Smith-Rowe has been in this squad for only just over a year. You, you're, you look at other top teams around the country. They've been, they've been playing their football with that team, for, for some of them for years. Look at Mason Mount, for example. Mason Mount's been a mainstay in that Chelsea side since Frank Lampard, who took the job two, three years ago. Emile Smith-Rowe's been here for a year doing his trade for a year, Bukayo Saka probably two years. So as they gel together and grow together, and you know, as we get these final pieces of the jigsaw into the jigsaw, there's only room for growth and for learning how to manage these situations. I think that's also it. I think we haven't yet learned how to manage a team who's just gone one down or two down that's going to fly out of the blocks at us because they're itching to get a goal back. And I think that's where the nervousness comes into play. Because teams like that are quite unpredictable. And I feel like sometimes we like to try and predict what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that was a game that could only have been played out by a team that are still kind of young and learning their trade and a team that are in total disarray. Do you know what I mean? It was just, it was the perfect kind of storm. Um, and that really brought us the game that was. And and, and as, I, as I keep saying, I fucking loved it. I fucking loved it. Um, let's get into the game more granularly. Uh, granularly, easy for me to say then. Um, it was pure chaos from the start. <laughs> the I mean, the, the first, the first kind of, actually the first kind of three minutes, we were in total control. Um, I felt really confident. It felt like the first thing, I always say this, but the kind of the first actions are always really telling. And if we forget setup for a second, if you get quick and sharp into your first action, and I think the first thing that I wrote down was Saka on Matic. He, he's immediately sharper than Matic and it sets a tone straight away. It sets a, 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 a marker for the crowd of where this game is tonally and kind of um, temperature wise. And moments like that, Saka just is just a yard quicker than Matic. And then you can feel the crowd get up and go, okay, this is the game we got today. We're not only we keeping the ball, we're also we we feel like we can beat these guys, we can get around them. And it tells you something, it sets a tone. And I just always think get into your actions quick, step out, step out, get it out at your feet, turn, go. And we did. And it led to the first goal. And um actually I think Nuno had just missed an easy cutback and and we will come we will discuss Nuno Tavares. Um, he just missed an easy cutback and it's some terrible defending uh, from on Man United's half, uh, behalf, but a good shot from Saka and Tavares gets it in. Um, we did have a discussion, was it the other day where you said Tavares doesn't have a right foot and uh, he scored with his right I, foot? I, I mean, I, I, <laughs> that it, it, it's on the goal line, Alex. I don't think it's difficult. <laughs> No, this proves this proves his right foot is. Uh, don't look at any of the other shots. Don't look at the rest of Nuno Torres' game. Just watch that. He's a he's a lethal poacher with his right, mate. Uh, I mean, it's hard to disagree. It's hard to disagree with that. Um, but I agree with you. I think that it looked like it was going to be fucking mental from from the word go, and th- and that's what we got. It was it was a spectacle. I think that um, you know again. To, to, I'm trying hard not to just talk about bigger picture stuff, but it's it's games like this that you have to applaud players like Granit Xhaka because um, probably, what, one of two senior players on the pitch and has really come into form and carried us in, through these games and these difficult moments at the right time. Yeah, and having someone who can put their foot on the ball every so often and slow it down, um, usually we look to Partey to do that. Um, sometimes it's Ben White, 
but we 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 miss that we miss that and 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 down then it will come to both of the performances actually but but yeah i think i think having a kind of calming influence it's funny to call Xhaka a calming influence, but ultimately he's experienced and mature and you feel when he's got when he's on the ball there's a there's a purpose and direction and a, a clarity that he has that um you know, while he may, again, you always have to add the caveats with Xhaka, while he may not have all of the technical ab- abilities, it is something you, you need in the in these types of games. Um I thought we were inverting and overlapping really well on on the and using the wide areas really well. It was kind of a 3-3-4 out of possession and changed to a sort of 2-3-5. It was all sorts of stuff, but I think, the and you can look at it at basically any point, I think the the more interesting part for me is how much we adapt in-game and how much we are adapting in-game at the moment. Cedric's inverting, um, then Smith-Rowe's dropping on the interior, Ben White stepping out, El Nenny's sitting forward and Jack is sitting back. I would love to know and sit down with Artessa and say exactly why those things are happening. But to me, noticing a team continually shifting, continually adapting to the the sort of the temperature of the game is is actually really exciting to me because it feels as though when it when it works, it feels as though it's um, it's responding. It's a kind of alive and awake uh, mechanism that that feels um, feels good. The only downside to that is sometimes I feel like we can adapt too much in game and especially in games like this when there is a kind of chaotic energy to it it can feel a little bit like where the fuck is he and there's a few moments of those with like Nuno Tavares stepping forward I mean Cedric's some of his um, moments against Sancho and he's sort of tracking back were absolutely unbelievable Um, but what it does provide us unbelievable in a bad sense but what it does provide us is a kind of unpredictability um, an ability for players to pop up in certain areas which you don't expect them to and and an ability to get certain qualities in certain areas which you need them Martin Erdegaard dropping back and and linking the play there Um, it's it's really exciting football. It's really, really exciting football. Um, Xhaka in the half space, stepping forward, you know, he's kind of been sat a little bit further back recently, but then we started, you know, El Nenny started sitting as a pivot at one point and Xhaka could go forward. And from that half space, he can provide us something. There was some clip balls, there was some balls through to Nuno. There were some real combinations appearing on that side, which I really, it's exciting. It's new dynamics to the team. Do you see what I mean? It's it's new new areas to explore new players in different places in different systems working out how to break down a low block or stop a team transitioning against you and the more flexibility we have as long as the principles remain the same and as long as everyone understands what they're doing which are two very important things um that flexibility in game makes me feel like it's a well-coached side and a team that can adapt absolutely and uh, i mean there's there's a few things i want to come back on there um you know, you talk about getting getting you know Xhaka in the right spaces. I think also you've got to look at the fact that in the last two games we're starting to get Erdegaard and Saka back connected, which has been a massive, massive influence as to how we've gone from feeling like such a disconnected team to a, a fully connected organism. Um, I, I think there's a few things there. The best teams don't do the same thing all game because it, it's not always going to work. Um. For example, Kevin De Bruyne's balls from kind of that half space that he absolutely loves to whip them in from are going to be really good against some teams. But if you've got a team perfectly coached to deal with aerial threats, you know, you're going to have to try different things. And it's almost like driving a car. And if you think Man City have been driving this car for six, seven years, they know where the biting point is. They know how far to lift the clutch up. 
They know exactly the gear transitions. Super, super simple. We're still learning those transitions and when exactly to make them and when it's right to make them and when it's safe to make them. What this was, was a really good sign that we're we're getting there on how to switch our play up, but switch it up quickly. And that's really, really exciting because it does just add new dynamics to this team. We don't then just become a, a team that passes to Saka and hopes that something happens or does the same three-pass movement pattern of play where it's like into party, party to the right back, the right back up the wing to Saka, Saka into Erdegaard, Erdegaard out to Saka, ball in from that channel and, and a chance. You know, it feels like we're able to do these different things. And I think that's also come from the fact that we've now got Eddie through the middle who is putting in a really, really good shift for us. And I think it's like we've both said before on this podcast, having a striker that even has a minimal threat now in behind with legs can turn, can shoot. It gives that extra half a second of doubt in a centre-back's mind as to whether they can go over and assist that fullback or whether they do have to pay mind to the centre forward that's there. And it's all of these things coming together just at the right time for Arsenal that has just reignited our entire season. And it's absolute, I think, whilst the the game was, like you say, absolutely chaotic yesterday, we have to give, again, this is a game, the flowers go to Mikel. And again, just another another great setup, another great use of players who have not played a lot of minutes and he's managed to get them. And, and this is props to them as well, but he and them have managed to get themselves into this system seamlessly. There's no, it's not like we fit in a new, a new gearbox and we're clunking from one to two. The car is driving, like it's going well. And that you can only give props to the manager and the players for that because they're really dealing with these difficult circumstances well absolutely absolutely and 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 you're right to pick out Mikel you know it also feels purposeful you know pressing people with their back to goal forcing turnovers quickly counter pressing really quickly it all feels like the automations are coming they're not quite there yet you know there's still a lot of uh doubt in the players minds as I, as I was outlining in the intro but the the, the intent to play is there and the intent to to do stuff is there and the the kind of the the sort of apathetic as you say horseshoe shaped stuff is is long gone and it's it's really exciting and to come back on Eddie as well I I, I love the dynamic that he adds cutting in from the left it's it's so nice he runs across the center back really well it drew a foul at one point I think for Erdegaard he shot over with the free kick um <clears throat> but yeah adding someone who can who can not only link but stretch is only adds more new dynamics and, and and you're right to pick that out as a as a as another thing to add to the to the kind of growing list of, of new dynamics in this team there was a new dynamic that came in at the beginning of the season with Ramsdale and Ben White and um and and Tommy Yasu and there was a kind of backline solidity that we had that probably isn't there right now because of sort of personal issues and and form issues apart from Ben White but going forward now there feels like there's there's some new dynamics forming um I feel like this might be a good time to talk about Mohamed El Neni's performance. Oh, I mean, the El Nenesance continues, my brothers. The El Nenesance, we need to think of some more facts for things you didn't know about Mohamed El Neni. I'm going to be sad I mean, when he leaves. I am going to be sad when he leaves. It was unbelievable trying to find his game by numbers. I mean, he was sort of everywhere. I mean, I mean, something I've never seen before from him was how much he turned and drove forward. I, I've never seen him do that before. I've never seen him get the ball shake someone off and 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 turn and go uh 
and maybe he's done it. I'm, I'm sure he has done it, but so consistently and so often and into good spaces and get the ball out of his feet and and and, and progress us. We are so used to seeing the kind of El Nenny, oh God, El Nenny passes backwards. But this is what happens when structure starts to work around you. It allows your players to grow into their full potential. When you know where players are going to be, when you have, when you start to begin to be like, oh, Smith Rowe is going to be between the lines in this phase of play, in this specific scenario, you know you can turn and find him. There's still frustrations. There was a moment where Martinelli could have been cleaned through and now then he could have found him and it, he he doesn't have the technical quality to do that. There's questions around a new contract. I'm always keen to assess those things at the end of the season when we have a bit of a clearer head and aren't in the kind of emotional side of things. But I mean, his performance was just was just amazing. And to come in, considering how little football he's had this season, be so professional. Someone, I saw someone say this earlier. He's You never see him in the media. You never see him complaining. You never get interviews of him saying, I want to go, I want to leave. I'm not saying the people who do that are bad. Uh, you know, everyone has their reasons for doing whatever. But El Nenny clearly is the most incredible professional. I mean, there was some some comments from Mikel saying he, you know, he's the most phenomenal person. I've got me here. Um, he's the most phenomenal person. Uh, I say that he's one of the most important players in the squad, as well as a great footballer that sometimes gets overlooked. You know, I think I'm praising someone doesn't mean you have to keep them long term and. To say that Mohamed Elneny has come in and done an unbelievable job in these last two games is not to say he should stay for 15 years. It's just to credit that guy for what he's done. And and it's a great job. Absolutely. And always better to leave on a high rather than leave on a low. And, uh, you know, I think that there is definitely room to, in that in that role with Elneny, especially pivot to somebody else. I don't think um, he's particularly needed for next season. Hopefully... With a bit more maturity, Sambi will become a bit more comfortable playing that role. He'll have a lot more opportunities in in European competition next season, whichever one we end up in. Um, and we, I think, and I do think we need a different profile of player for a forward eight, for like kind of the eight position. So I, 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 I tend to agree with you that this is one something to assess in the summer, but two, I think, I think the assessment's already made. I think for all of these players whose contracts are running down. The assessments have been made. You know, we know that whilst they they can step in and do a brilliant job patching up, it's not going to be enough and what we need to truly progress. And we need to stop sticking plasters on and, and we do need to. And that's why it'll be sad because, you know, he's come in, he's he's performed admirably and he's possibly going to be one of the driving factors behind us securing possible Champions League football. Uh, and it's a shame that he might not be here to play a part in that. But sometimes, sometimes good stories don't have the happiest of endings, but they're still a good story. And it, it would be a good story for some of these players to tie up their fi- kind of final c- season and career at Arsenal on a high like this. And that's why I'm really, really pleased for the b- the best Egyptian player of all time that it's it's ending well for him. How beautiful. What a poet you are, Brad. Against Man United, no player dribbled past him. And against Chelsea, no player dribbled past him. Um, Brad, it can only call for one thing. Things you didn't know about Mohamed Elneny. Mohamed Elneny has brown hair. That was... Things you didn't know about Mohamed Elneny. <laughs> 
genius podcasting on this one. Genius. Um, what were you going to say about Ramadan? Go on. Well, it's, I was just going to say, something to consider is, obviously, it's Ramadan at the moment. He's fasting. That's not the the easiest thing to do, let alone play in a professional sport like this. And, and, you know, massive credit going out to all of the Muslim players that are doing this around the world. But to run that hard and to work that hard, to be on the pitch for 90 minutes and never look fatigued, thats I think that's one of his best attributes. The engine on that man is, is sensational. And to put that work in during, you know, Ramadan and, and, and having to fast at the same time is just... It's unbelievable. He he hasn't been able to fuel his body since five o'clock in the morning. And I I mean, Christ almighty, I I genuinely, I eat all the time. And I feel like if I skip meals, I, like I, just can't, it, it, I don't understand like how he does that. And that's amazing. That's sensational work from him and unbelievable professionalism. Yep. Yep. Couldn't agree more, mate. Couldn't agree more. Um, we should discuss some of the incidents. Uh, we talked about the Cedric one. I mean, I can't believe we got away with it, but look, if it's in the rules, it's in the rules and I'll take that every day, mate. Um, Enketias gets through with the keeper to beat and he misses. Uh, I think it turns out to be offside, but then we have the disallowed goal uh, with Enketia offside. Erdogan, Saka, Cabani again. In it. Um, it's unbelievable. I mean, what a touch from Erdogan into, uh, I think it's Saka. Um and yeah, if Inketi's offside to me, it's 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 a penalty on on Saka from from uh, I think it's is it Dallo or Teles? Um, no doubt for me. I mean, I was never in doubt. I feel like there was a lot of energy that felt you know this sort of could go could go this way one way or the other. I always felt it was going to be a penalty. It was a clear he he moved towards Saka and intentionally blocked him, not in an attempt to get the ball, which is a penalty. That's a foul, and therefore it's in the box. It's a penalty. So I didn't feel. Um, I didn't feel that was contentious, did you? God, God, no. Uh, he went through the back of him. The first Eddie chance is actually onside, which is the strange one, you know, the one that he hits straight at the hair. So that's Yes, no, it is. You're right. You're right. That's a real shame that that one wasn't, you know, mainly for Eddie's confidence, because you think coming into the end of the season, more and more goals for him is always going to be great. But um, it's, I mean, it's, it's as clear a penalty as I think you'll ever see. You don't just get to jump in. I know, I, there's some... The thing is, is like, as we do as fans, people love to jump through hoops to try and allow things or to change narratives or whatever. And I've seen people say, oh, but Saka gets the pass off. Saka's not trying to pass. He's trying to control it and shoot. He's in the best yeah. position yeah. to bend it round. Like it's, uh, he's gone through the back of him. Like he's jumped himself into the back of a player with no intention of winning the ball. Okay, the ball then goes to a player of ours that's offside and he scores. But if we're not allowed that goal, then we'll have the foul. It's 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 as clear a penalty as the Nuno Tavares handball is a penalty. As the Cedric Suarez is. You know, do you know what I mean? Like I don't here's the thing. I would like Nuno the, the Cedric one is definitely I don't know if it's inside or out of the box, but so it's either definitely a free kick or a penalty. The Nuno Tavares one is definitely a penalty. The one thing about tribalistic football fans I will never understand is trying to they try to slit their own throats to tell you that black is white. It makes no sense. It's a clear penalty. It's fine. Blame the stupid fucker on your team that's just jumped himself in like a fucking Randy Orton RKO super, like whatever it's called, like a fucking suplex from the top rope and taking him out. Don't like, 
Don't boil the conversation about the referees when your player has literally just tried to fucking do a Lucho Libre Jack Black special on him. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Um, yeah, and it's... It, <laughs> you fucking kill me, man. Um, it's so it's, annoying. It's so annoying. It's a great penalty from Saka, emphatic... Um, I don't think there's a... I think there was some stat the other day about how he's the youngest penalty scorer for Arsenal in Premier League era or so, some kind of thing. Basically, he's a young penalty taker uh, and it's absolutely emphatic and he he sends their hair the wrong way. Unbelievable. Um, and then the other incident in that sort of period of the game was the goal for Ronaldo. Um, bullies Gabriel, mate. Absolute levels. I mean... <sighs> Could Ramsdale do better? Get out to it? Possibly. I think we'll come to the Ramsdale thing in a second. Uh, I, th- I just think it's Ronaldo, mate. I mean, he's just, he's just got that poacher's instinct. Um, Gabriel should be stronger, but... I think it's all three of them. For me, for me, he's the greatest of all time, so... Um, I think it's all three of them. I think that Ramsdale thinks that Gabriel's going to deal with it. Gabriel's assuming that Ramsdale's going to deal with it. Deal with it. And uh, Nuno's probably looking at a butterfly that's just flown past his face. Oh, God. Um, we'll come to that in a second. Uh, there were some concerning signs from United, uh, especially towards the end of that first half. Dallow hit the bar. Um, and they were well set up in their high press, to be fair. I mean, they stopped us getting out quite a bit. Um, there was that moment with Cedric and Ramsdale where, oh, God, um, who was it? It was Cedric and Ramsdale. He saved a shot and then Cedric swiped it. I mean, it was absolute, just pure, pure chaos. Um We'll discuss Tavares in a second. I just want to, before we dive into that one, I want to talk about Erdegaard. What a performance from him. Completely dictated it. Uh, his, the way he receives the ball and his body shape when he does it does so much for us. So much for us. It It kind of communicates to other people where they should go. It gives them an extra half a second. As the ball's coming into him, Erdegaard's body position is always set up in a way where you know he, where he's going to go next. So you can slightly anticipate his next move. He's unbelievable. He's got, he's got uh, what's that thing? La Pausa, whatever it's called. He's got that thing where he can stop and start again. It's unbelievable. He, and, and, and after a really tricky run, um, where I wish we could have sat him down, to be honest, and given him, some, uh, given him a bit of a rest, um, he's, he is back to his best. And he loves the club, man. I love to see it. He's passionate. When that Tavares goal goes in, he's he's one of the first people there celebrating. He's just, yeah, I, I love him, man. And, and I think, you know, in terms of a captain on the day, as a technical leader for the team, he is, he's exactly what we need. Uh, I, I, mate, I totally agree. This game for me was kind of battle of the two tens. Um, you know, there's a lot said about Bruno Fernandes, his contributions towards Manchester United. But I think, Martin Odegaard is the perfect example of a player that plays for a team. It's not, it's, it's unselfish. It's, it's thoughtful. It's purposed. And there were a few moments where, where Fernandez, you know, just picks up the ball and fucking thwacks it. And, you know, that's one of my, one of my biggest bugbears in football is decision-making. Like I watched Richarlison today in the, in the Merseyside derby decide that he's Ronaldo when he's kind of closer in ability to Emil Heskey, try and dribble around five people and then just smack the ball straight into one of them. And you're just thinking like, Christ alive, 
where is where is your brain and and you know I, I think we're absolutely blessed that we've picked we've picked up a player who not only is he technically brilliant physically brilliant but he's also so intelligent everything he does is so and he, and like you say it's even just his body positioning or the slight movements of his body to f- to kind of feign one way and then go another he is probably the signing of the summer he as in in the Premier League, not just at Arsenal. He is the signing of the summer in the Premier League. Twenty nine point eight million pounds for a, for a player who is definitely and should be up there with being in a conversation with some of the best midfielders in the country right now. And he runs the show. And like you say, not only is he he's almost got the 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 trifecta. Not only is he a technical leader but he is a leader when it comes to passion on a football pitch. And he's also a leader at keeping people in the game and keeping people's heads in the game. You see it, you see him talk to people and uh, and our players and it, it's brilliant. And I think that in a team, you need two of those leaders. You need one at the back line and one in that kind of middle to front line. And I think we have those two players in um, a mixture of Ben White and Ramsdale for the back line and then Erdegaard moving forward. I... I, I honestly, I have no, I've run out of superlatives to talk about the way this man makes me feel about watching football. It's. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It is really beautiful. Um, I have to move on, Brad, and I'm going to read something out to you. Duna Tavares' game by numbers against Manchester United. Six touches in the opposition box. Four duels won. Three shots, three fouls committed, one chance created, one penalty conceded, one goal. I mean, he's on another planet, mate. He is on another planet. What is going on? He he has a bit of the Mustafi brain dead gene. He does. Because like I'd love to there were there were so many moments where he'd he does this all the time. He doesn't know when to release a ball, so he'll carry the ball 50 yards. And then there's an easy pass off to either Xhaka or Martinelli or somebody. He doesn't take it. He loses the ball. And whilst we've still gained 50 yards, he's then so fucking far out of position that we're having to cover for, for long balls over the top. I, Whilst I think that there is a, a, a physical prowess in there, and I, I think he has the technical potential if he stopped doing stupid shit to be quite a technically gifted player. But it's about under- being technically gifted is also about understanding the limitations of your technique. The reason that Martin Erdegaard is so good is he knows his moments. Uh, you know, Nuno doesn't. There are so many opportunities that we have that are really fruitful for us and he'll pick up the ball and balloon it with his right foot or just do something ridiculous we lose the ball and then it's you know it's it's a counter-attack and whilst in this game because Bruno misses the penalty Nuno didn't come back to bite us there will be other games moving forward where he will and to be achieving what we want to achieve we cannot have any air of that within the squad we can't have any air of of kind of complacency and 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 absolute tomfoolery from the lad (laughs) tomfoolery from the lad um yeah uh he, he his 
as I said last episode, um, and we were cr- critiqued, by the way, by Cluid. He said uh, we need to give him time. And uh, I have to say, I think we've been proved right. Um, all of his physical attributes that that are really positive and feel like, you know, the, the ability to, to to travel that ball really far, the, the uh, travel that, to progress the ball really far, the ability to invert and go on the inside he does have like a bit of separation. He's got a kind of finesse in the box. I mean, he's absolutely all over the place with the shots, but he's got a kind of instinct there. There's something there. All of it though, just feels like a, like an, uh, like a, a happy accident. Like it doesn't feel sustained or controlled or in any way, kind of something that he's designed and, and something he's aware of. It just feels like something that, that he has and is using. Now, if that can be harnessed and coached and teach, as we say, there's a player in there, but I don't want to, I don't want to be the club yet again who are the, you know, nothing nothing against Nuno personally. I'm sure he's a lovely person. But I, we can't be the club that allow another person to make all their mistakes at. Because what, tell you what happens, mate. He'll make all the mistakes and then he'll either leave and that'll be what the fuck. Or he'll make all the mistakes and then go, oh, actually, he's quite good. Probably play a couple of good seasons for us and then fuck off and probably, Edu probably won't sell him for any, anything, right? So we're probably going to lose. We have to get the period of, of time where a player is doing well and a player is playing well. We can't be the club who constantly give out these mistakes, right? I do, ha- however, have to say, while in the game, I felt Nuno's, um, I thought his time was up and I heard fans shouting and saying, Arteta, please get him off. Um, I have to say that I felt Arteta, after the game, I felt did the right thing. In keeping him on, if he'd re, you know, for example, if that penalty had gone in, there would have been a complete inquest. But if my grandmother, it didn't, and you know, his his mistakes ultimately didn't completely cost us the game, right? So he's and he hopefully, hopefully, he would have learned from that. He would have learned from that situation. Okay, so I, I, I'm not. It's it's kind of results based analysis, right? Maybe he should have taken him off, but I also think we can look at the benefit of not taking him off in that he's gone through that experience. Hopefully he would have taken something from it and credit to Arteta because in this case, nothing happened and therefore we have to say, okay, it's probably best to keep him on, in my opinion. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think, listen, if he'd have been hooked again in a third successive start for poor performance, whether that had been at 35, 45 or 65 minutes, I think the lad would have been done. I don't think there would have been a road back because the confidence starts to go and then, you know, getting that back becomes a really, really difficult battle. Um, Arteta was right, but not right from a place of... of um, intelligence is the wrong word, but that's it wasn't... It was a gamble. You know, the man started playing basketball in our own area, started doing cut, um, kind of like Ronaldo chop turns to give the ball to Man United players to run down our left channel. Listen, the gamble paid off. There are only so many times you can afford to do those gambles and in so many games, especially when the the contest is this tight. Um, And, you know, we're in a we're in a very lucky situation right now in the sense of we've got a young squad. There's a lot of there's a lot of growth to be done and there's a lot of room for us to maneuver and manipulate this squad. We could get rid of Nuno in the summer and it will not really have that much of an impact. I wouldn't bin him, I'd loan him, but I think that the clock is ticking on the idea that we can keep 
it's like juggling a live grenade that you don't know has got any, you know, gunpowder or whatever is meant to be in it, in it. Because eventually, if it does, it'll blow up in your face. You might get lucky and it doesn't. And then you've got a really cool little souvenir. But if your fucking head blows off, it doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> Bradley there telling us he doesn't know what's in a grenade. Um, you're right, though. You are right. And, you know, I... Uh... It is. It's a risk. It's. It's what. What he's doing is a risk. It. I wouldn't say it paid off, but it didn't backfire today. And hopefully, we got something out of it. But yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was hairy out there, man. And we've got to find a solution for that. And look, if he comes in and does amazingly for the rest of the season, and and it feels like there's a real step up before the end of the season, or even at the beginning of next season, we we feel like okay, he's gone to a different level. Perhaps it's justified. But if not, we've got to get him out on loan. Um, and he just sees the headlines all the time. Stop fucking shooting. Oh, my God. Especially with the injury, Stop. like the injury problems with Tierney. We need a left back who can... And I go, I'm going to I'm gonna toot my own horn and I'm going to keep suggesting the exact same player that we signed for right back in the summer. Maybe that's why we buy a right back who can invert on that left-hand side because Kieran Tierney will probably miss 15 games next season through injury. And... If those are 15 important games for us, we can't have Nuno coming in and fucking it up because he wants to take weak foot 50-yard screamers. Would Tommy Asu work on that side? Mm, I would be much more... Because we like to push that left back on and Tommy Asu's quite good coming in on that, just sitting in that three and occasionally getting forward, I wouldn't... That The right back is would, isn't where... For example, I wouldn't, I would, you wouldn't take a problem and put it somewhere else for the sake of it. I feel like the problem is at left back. The problem we need to solve is there, and I wouldn't do it by unbalancing another side. So I'd put Cedric left wing back and just allow him to do what he wants, which is put in sixty-five of the worst crosses I've ever seen in a match in, um, and leave Tommy Asu where he is because that will have less of a detrimental effect on our game. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I hear you. I'd be interested to see it at some point, but I, I do hear you. Um, yeah, I mean, the second half was just more chaos, wasn't it? I mean, Ronaldo had the ball in the net, but he was he was he was off. I think it was a lot closer than it, it initially appeared. Uh, as I say, Nuno was just pure football chaos. Not, wait, wait, there was wait. some McTom. They are not using the right angles for these. Um, for these fucking VAR decisions. They are using ones that aren't side on. They're using ones that are at an angle. So they're giving it, yeah, to, to, and it's giving an improper view of what is actually happening, which is why Ronaldo yeah. looks so yeah. clearly offside. But there is one thing to note about that as well. That's the same thing that happened in the Southampton game where we are not pushing that line up quick enough. Ben White is slightly lagging behind that line and almost playing him onside. We need to start quickly moving forward as a unit if that's what we're going to do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of other incidents um ramsdale were unbelievable save from dallo um defensively we were all, all over the shop and sort of down to our side to be honest i mean ramsdale as i said at the beginning he was all you know one moment he was manuel neuer with with dallo and then just looked absolute it looked like sheffield ramsdale you know like i i don't know what's going on with him at the moment we don't really have the time to have that conversation um but yeah, it's, it is a concern, to be honest. Uh, and finally, the goal from Xhaka. I mean, finished off the game. Absolutely unbelievable. It's his, you know, yearly screamer. Uh, so clean. And he also had a great game. I think he had like 96% um, 
uh, pass accuracy, 10 final third entries. He was uh, another great performance. And we've needed him to step up, step up ultimately in the um, in Partey's absence. Um, and he has, and 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 credit to him, you know, again, similarly to Elneny. Arteta gives so much, places so much faith in Jacques Elneny that like the distances they have to actually traverse and progress through are crazy at times absolutely crazy and he he yields so much space for them to to control but they did it they did it and and yeah credit to credit to Xhaka the final thing I wanted to come to I feel like some reputations aren't deserved but Bruno Fernandes is absolutely oh he's a wanker he is such a wanker I've I've never seen so many dives in a match uh, by the same player I, I have no idea how he stayed on the pitch. And that's the, I think the second or third time he's done that this season. It's the second time he's done that at Arsenal. He made that same challenge against Granit Xhaka last season. It's, it's, it's intentionally aiming to injure a professional. And I just, it's because the only reason that he continues to do it is because he's a continued to be allowed to get away with it. And that this is why refereeing standards are so fucking important because eventually he'll do that down the back of someone's leg, snap an Achilles or cause a serious, serious leg break or injury. That player will then be out for nine months and the PGMOL will be the only people to blame for just not consistently telling the man and banning him that we need retrospective bans for incidents like this. Because if you watch it in slow motion, He sees the ball go past him. The ball's gone for two or three seconds before he continues and makes the choice and looks at Tavares' leg and makes the choice to rake those studs up and to put it on his shin. Retroactive bands are needed. Refereeing standards are needed because it becomes about player welfare and safety. There's a reason that players like fucking Aaron Ramsey had their legs broken so many times in their careers. And it's because players who were not marshaled correctly do stupid fucking shit like this. And then when they're not told it's stupid and they don't get told off for it, they don't get bans, they don't get fines. They're just going to continue to do it and get away with it. It's mental. We'll see you. After this. Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views, where we give you all the news and all your views, but mostly ours. Just a quick reminder that if you do enjoy these podcasts, please subscribe, turn on notifications, leave us a review, and please support us on Patreon. We get access to ad-free versions of the main podcast and the preview podcast and the newly created TDK Shorts for just £3 a month. And for one-time support, head to buymeacoffee.com, where you can... Buy me a coffee. The links are in the show... Description. Description. Uh, right, Bradley. We've had a DM, which I quite enjoyed. It's from 5 underscore 75 underscore 74 underscore 49. 
Is this another one asking for, you know, our bank account details? And feet pics. Not today. Although I did send them. Is that, that, that was right to do, right? Yeah, cool. Fuck it. Why not? Good evening, sirs. I had a thought. That's good. Go on, itchy nose. And you guys were the first people I thought may give one sixth of a fuck. Bear with me. <laughs> If the Premier League were to be a series of two-legged games as opposed to two independent games, what implications might there be on some team's league position? Let me explain. We lost 2-3 to United, but beat them 3-1. As such, we've both taken three points on the fixture, but if it were a two-legged fixture, we would have won 5-4 and thus would have taken the three points. If indeed you do give one-sixth of a fuck, I welcome your response. I reckon I give... Two sixths. Yeah, I, that's really interesting. Um, maybe someone could do the maths on it. Go and maybe that's something we can revisit at the end of the season and do the. If it was a two-legged affair with only three points for each, you know, home and away fixture, who would have been top, middle, bottom, and all that shite? But that's really. That's a, I mean, it's an interesting way to look at it. I wonder is this going to be one of those ones where like Arsenal Arsenal are second in the if things were two legged oh, <laughs> table? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, we, we yeah, Christ alive, we're always second or first in those stupid things. It's like when oh god, what was it? It's like when Spurs were top for like two calendar years in a row and they started creaming themselves over that. It's an interesting. It's an interesting sort of proposition I mean I, I, I'd be interested to see if another league did it for example and how that kind of played out whether it made more interesting games made more interesting ties because I suppose the second leg would be there'd be a lot on the second riding on the second leg and that game would be massive but it would also mean that whoever got the away fixture and the home fixture would be controversial if for example like Man City and Liverpool if the home if the if the second fixture was at um, was at Liverpool you know, there might be a question of, well, that's bias. You know, they get Anfield for the second second fixture where they're, they're you, know, you, you know, like there might be a kind of question around that. Um, I don't know. It is interesting though. And it kind of, maybe it would create more, more narratives. I mean, does football need more narratives? But it would create more kind of, you know, relevance for the games in a way. And it, it would make every game mean more, I guess, to some degree. Um but also might make the first leg seem more irrelevant. I don't know. It's an interesting interesting proposition. I mean, let us know what you think. T- tweet at Diffnock or tweet <clears throat> at five underscores. <laughs> uh, the Invincibles were at the game. Did you see that? I did. I did. I also saw Piers Morgan looking very depressed that we won a game. Absolutely. Yeah, it's sad, isn't twerp. it? He's, he's, a, he's a strange man. What's he, what's he got with Aubameyang? Does he fancy him or something? <sighs> Lord knows. Uh, Joao Castelo Branco is an ESPN Brazil correspondent in the UK. He did an interview with Edu actually at the stadium and took pictures of it. So, you know, it's legit. Uh, and Edu Gaspar confirmed this, uh, that, uh, that this summer Arsenal will be focusing on one or two main signings. However, that was reported in places that Arsenal are only going to sign one or two players. People freaked out. But the actual journalist who did that said this does not mean there will only be two i.e. there will be more than two signings, but there's going to be a main focus on sort of one or two main signings. Obviously, that immediately springs up questions of, is this our kind of Alison Van Dyke summer or window? Um, what do you make of that? That that fee, If that is indeed the strategy, and supposedly that's been approved by the owners, that feels like the right way to go. I mean, 
we do need the kind of level raises, the people that take us from sort of top four hopefuls to kind of pushing, you know, maybe pushing Chelsea next season and then and then beyond. Um, I don't know. I, I like the idea that we're bringing in two proper, proper additions to that first team. And, and as I said to you this week, I think in terms of numbers, there's a debate around um, how many we need. I, I maybe I'm sitting slightly on the more conservative side. I don't think we need that many as many numbers as maybe people think but I mean that's kind of a different conversation what I am saying though is in terms of top quality additions for this squad in terms of its its age and its profile and how it's developing and stuff I think one or two proper first team additions is probably right and it's probably got to be at centre forward and it's probably got to be in the midfield and then from there if we add squad uh, squad depth and create some competition in the team Everyone's another year older. That feels like the right balance. I mean, you always want better players, but you you, you don't want to unbalance things. And would I get someone in to replace Saka? No. Would I get someone in to replace Odegaard? No. Martinelli? No. Just see what I mean? Like, I'm going around the team and I'm going, there's only a few positions actually in the first team that I think should be up for debate. I mean, what do you think? Absolutely. I don't. I, I think it, what, what the quotes are, and they're fairly obvious, it's a change in tactic from last summer where we signed four starting players and this summer we're probably only going to sign two starting players because we only need two we need a center forward and then somebody to challenge in 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 the midfield I think and even if you look at the the kind of you know the main player that we've been linked with being Gabriel Jesus it makes a lot of sense because he can also cover the right wing meaning that you know we don't need to bring in a player who is just Saka's understudy it gives us more versatility if we then sign a second more bullyish physical number nine as well um I think it's smart I think that's exactly what I would have expected the club to do I think we still need five signings probably but a lot of these are depending on outgoings if we keep Cedric in the summer which would be Christ alive a decision um if we keep him we don't need a backup right back but we obviously do need to let him go and get a backup right back so I think it is again it becomes we need two main signings to slot into the first team and to be able to regularly contribute and regularly get kind of a meaningful amount of minutes. And then kind of maybe three, four players who, I don't mean sit on the peripheries, but will still get decent minutes, but they're not exactly going to be players that we are clamouring to start every game or, or we're looking to start every game. So uh, I I don't think this is a surprise. Um, and it's exactly what I think a smart club would do. Consolidate what you've got, get the first 11. And actually the first 11s become a bit more like a first kind of, especially with these extra two signings, a first kind of 14, 15, which I think most big, solid Premier League clubs have. They have rotations in, you know, those those major, major positions. Yeah, I mean, most teams have a, have a probably 16 or 17 people who play most of the minutes. You know, uh, that is that is how it's going. It's a squad game. I think, um, yeah, I think you're right. It is, it is, it feels like the natural next step. Um, I'm interested to see who, obviously, who those, who those players are. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel as though this is the right move. I mean, adding, you don't want to upset the apple cart in terms of adding too much. I think last summer was a real kind of, in out um situation a real refresh and then this summit is just about adding those level raises it's adding those people who can in the 
Everton game this season, get us over the line. It's adding those people in the Burnley game this season, get us over the line. You know, it's, it's those players who who come in and make the difference in those games. And I think adding it's uh, for me, it's all about adding depth as well. Uh, you know, and I think we can do both. And yeah, it's 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 really exciting. I mean. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about it. We could talk about transfer rumors all night, but it is it is so exciting, and I think it's uh, encouraging to feel like that's the that's the plan. If 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 the reports are true, Brad, uh, at yeah. Sam Trotman, I think, I think maybe sorry, I think maybe there needs to be three though, rather than two, because um, we it is about giving different weapons and different options, and I think I would be remiss to say I'd be a bit disappointed if we didn't go out and sign a, a, a physical presence in the forward line next season, somebody who is six foot two built like a brick shit house, or even, you know, I mean, Ivan Tony, I think is only about five foot 10, but somebody who can dominate defenders in the air. So that in those more difficult, uh, dogged games where we're having to whip balls into the box, we have a weapon that we can either start or bring off the bench that, that does do the things that we need. Right. Six foot two built like a brick shit house. You want to sign me, mate? I wonder how tall, the listeners think we are. Tweet us in. Tweet us in. T- tweet or email us in. Let us know how tall you think we are. <laughs> that could be really funny. I wonder if they think it's taller. They definitely think you're taller. It's definitely not me, is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, we've had a tweet in from at Sam Trotman. He says, if the rumours are to be believed and Conte leaves for PSG next... Oh, actually, no, that was going to say. I think also on that, mate, there is a, we've got to remember how good we were when everyone was fit. We have to remember that. And that's not to say we shouldn't add people. It's not to say we shouldn't, shouldn't do any of the business. But in terms of how close we are, we've got to remember when that team, that, and everyone can picture it, the Tomiyasu, Partey, Erdegaard, Jacka, um, a proper, you know, Saka and Martelli or whoever it was, we looked we looked like a proper outfit, mate. And we took it to City and we've, we've, we've got to remember that. At Sam Trotman says, if the rumours are to be believed and Conte leaves for PSG next season, do Spurve, do Spurve, <laughs> do Spurs improve under a new coach? Poch might be going the other way, which would be hilarious. Can I take the reins? I, I Well, I think um, they could. It depends on the coach. Uh, if, for example, they were another year into this Antonio Conte, project I'd, I'd say that there's a lot of work to be undone because of the profile of players he tends to sign they tend to be older specifically players who can play this three at the back formation whereas you know he's signed Kulisevsky on loan who could play in a, in obviously in a in a four if need be and a, you know a central midfielder who I think looks I, I I don't think that there's a as much reworking to be done but one thing I will say if Poch goes back um you know, he needed Deli Ali to be performing as the best goal scoring midfielder the Premier League had seen since Frank Lampard, Harry Kane to be performing as, you know, the best version of himself and Song Hyung Min, um, you know, a couple of years younger, a couple of, you know, kilometers an hour faster and a bit sharper. It's not going to be the same level. And that would honestly be the best decision for Arsenal fans if Poch went back, because I think it'd be a fucking car crash. The answer to your question, Sam, is no. Uh, Bradley. Yes. We've just got time. For a little bit of Arsenal trivia. Name an Arsenal... No, no, sorry. The, the theme was Arsenal centre-forwards with more than two open play goals. 
And the question was, Marouane Shamak got seven goals in the 2010-2011 season. Name the club he left Arsenal for permanently in 2013. I'm pretty sure he went, I don't know if it was permanent. I, I, have, I have a vision of him at Sunderland and I don't know why. He went on loan in 2013 to West Ham. Uh, and then he went to Palace permanently. Ah, uh, that was it. don't know why I had Sunderland in my head. Is It, it, it is his level. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. League One. <laughs> League One always. The theme for this week was Nicholas Bentner. And it's a simple question, Brad. Question for this week is, spell Nicholas Bentner's full name. <laughs> spell Nicholas Bentner. That's your question for this week. Spell Nicholas Bentner. Don't look it up. In your head right now. Spell it. And a theme for next week, please. Um, the theme for next week, to celebrate the Egyptian king's return to the Arsenal eleven previous Egyptian players who have played for the Arsenal. Have we had any? I think there must be one. There's got to be. No, there is only one, mate. It's Mohamed Elneny. Oh, uh, fuck. Um, okay. A question about Mohamed Elneny. We must celebrate the Lord. I'll see if there are previous Egyptian players and then if not, I'll do one, Elneny. Uh, word of the game battle, iridescent beats quality. Octagon, this is finally a win. Going to see those goals from a lot of different angles. See the sparks. BA7, AM7. Unbelievable. Uh, Bradley will finish, as we do, with a quote from the little book of Arsenal. Lucas Podolski considers getting his love for his new club in ink. Maybe I will do that with Arsenal because I like this club. It is a big club and maybe we can do a tattoo. We can speak about this in the next three or four years. Do you know what? He was a player I thought was going to absolutely bang at Arsenal. I was picturing like 30 goal seasons, like taking us back to the glory days, mate. I thought he was going to flop. So, I mean, neither of of us were right. Um, Just before we go, Brad, top four feelings. Um, It's all going to come down to the bloody North London derby, isn't it? Which is a shame um, because I'd rather have a normal heart rate on that day but things could still be decided before then i think we've got other than the north london derby we've gotten our really really difficult fixtures out of the way i'm not looking forward to newcastle other than city and liverpool they've taken i think the third most points since eddie howe has has been kind of instated there which is unbelievable work from him but uh i guess you, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna do the whole. Don't do that. Don't give me hope. Avengers style thing, and try and keep keep it buried down deep. But I feel good. You know, as they've still got to go to Anfield. They've got some difficult games. Hopefully, they drop more points, and hopefully, you know, our next re- our next difficult game is West Ham. They're not going to have a a, um, a registered senior centre back on the pitch. So. Um, as long as we can do well in that game and that game comes in between two really important semi-finals for them, I, I start to feel very, very, very positive about our chances come the end of the season. And hopefully it's decided before that North London derby because I don't want to go into that scrap against Everton and that, um, you know, the final games of the season with it's still all on the line. Yeah, and... Weirdly, mate, 
I feel like they have some tricky games. That I mean, not only against us, they got five to go. Uh, or maybe they have six. I don't know. Um, but they've got they've got to, they've got to go to Liverpool, which I mean, I can't see they can get any, anything from that. We've got to play them, and then they're playing Burnley. And Burnley A look in good form, but B will definitely be in that scrap. And that looks like a very, very tough game. And for us, obviously, we have got to play them and we have got to go to West Ham. But right now, back is to beat West Ham. And apart from that, Newcastle aren't playing for anything. Everton will pro- either be down or I think we'll probably be down or safe by that final game. Or maybe we'll relegate them. I don't know. But Leeds haven't got anything particularly to play for. Um so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think obviously it depends how it shakes out. I mean, that is literally the point of this. But I have a, I have a, there is a, there is a roadmap out of this where the games we play don't have loads riding on them, and Spurs' games do. Could all work out differently, but there is definitely a roadmap that does that, um, and that's what I'm praying for. Uh, my gut feeling says, mate, we don't do it. That's my Oof. gut feeling. Listen to your gut, mate. Yeah, Colt. Go on. My gut says we do. Well, there you go. You're paying for the shirt there, mate. Uh, please uh, get in touch. Do the uh, giveaway thing if you are interested in doing it. Email us at the different knock at gmail.com or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts with your full name, please, so we can enter you into the competition. Please do that. It would be lovely if we get top four to give a shirt away. Come on, the Gunners. Uh, chaotic game. Chaotic podcast with Bradley and Ben Dover. Uh, thanks as always for listening. Keep a different knock, and we'll see you later. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and BuyMeACoffee.com. Find us on Twitter at DiffKnock and visit our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks. Sports Social Podcast Network.